again. We're Tuning back. Again. So when we left off uh, two minutes ago, um, Fanon <laughs> was about to talk about uh, reactionary risks, yes. which uh, and and I, I think we had discussed earlier in that same episode what were possible reactionary risks. So let's let's let the man. Let's let the man tell him what, what he wants yeah, to do. Yeah, let's let Fanon do Fanon. So what are the forces which which in the colonial period open up new outlets and engender new aims for the violence of colonized people? In the first place, there are political parties and the intellectual and commercial elites. Now the characteristic feature of certain political structures is that they proclaim abstract principles but refrain from issuing definite commands. The entire action of these nationalist political parties during the colonial period is action of the electoral type, a string of philosophical political uh, dissertations on the themes of the rights of peoples to self-determination, the rights of man to freedom from hunger and human dignity, and the unceasing affirmation of the necessity of trial of the arm. Oh, I'm sorry, necessity of the unceasing affirmation of the principle one man, one vote. The national political parties never lay stress upon the necessity of a trial of armed strength for the good reason that their objective is not radical overthrowing the system. Pacifists and legalists, they are in perfect... uh, They are, in fact, perfect partisans. Yeah. Oh, there we go. They are, in fact, perfect partisans of order. (laughs) You can tell we're getting... No, we're getting there. We're getting there. The new order, but the colonialist bourgeoisie, they put bluntly enough to demand, which to them is the main one. Give us more power. On the specific question of violence, the elite are ambiguous. They are violent in their words and reformist in their attitudes. Mm-hmm. When the nationalist political leaders say something, they make quite clear that they do not really think it. <laughs> this characteristic on the part of the nationalist politi- political party should be interpreted in the light both of the makeup of their leaders and the nature of their followings. The rank and file of a nationalist party is urban. The workers, primary, primary school teachers, artisans, and small shopkeepers who have begun to profit at a discount to be sure from the colonial setup have special interests at heart. What this sort of following demands is the betterment of their particular lot. Increased salaries, for example. The dialogue between these political parties and the, and the col- colonialism is never broken off. Improvements are discussed, such as full electoral representation, the liberty of the press, and liberty of association. Reforms are debated. Thus, it need not astonish anyone that a large number of natives are militant members of the branches of political parties, which stem from the mother country. These natives fight under an abstract watchword. Government by the workers. And they forget that in their country, it should be nationalist watchwords, which are first in the field. The native intellectual has clothed his aggressiveness in this barely veiled desire to assimilate himself to the colonial world. He has used his aggressiveness to serve his own individual interests. Yeah, so you're starting to get this picture painted of these opportunists. Mm -hmm. And it's very much in nature. It's almost like a... Like a trade union of race, of yeah. colonization, is, is what it feels like, you yeah. know, where, like, the intentions are good, but the actions are very self-centered to a small group of people, and the outcome's not very radical. Well, you can feel you can feel a little bit of bootstrappy reform as, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of electoralism coming up here. Like, obviously, these people survived within this colonial system and put themselves in a position of, of, of somewhat stable, yeah. you know, living. Okay, I did it, so you can do it too. So I'm going to fight for your right to do it how I did it, without realizing that that's not a reasonable outcome for everyone yeah. in colonial society. And if it was, it wouldn't be a fucking colonized society. Like that's just not how this is going to work. Yeah, there's a lot of pulling the ladder up, and mm-hmm. it has the same issue that all pulling the ladder up does, and, and I, it's it's self interested um, cognitive dissonance. I don't even know if this is even pulling the ladder up. I think these people maybe. I think these people are more like leftist quote-unquote leftists in America right now. Like, good, the resistance people. Like, they're they're not trying to pull the ladder. They want everyone to be okay. But you can't punch a Nazi in the face to do it. That's uncouth. That breaks the (laughs) civility rules. We gotta gotta do this through the electoral system that is obviously broken and gerrymandered against us, goddammit. And if we can't win that way, then we'll put on our pussy hats and get our blue waves out and and, and get on Twitter. Yeah, or maybe, hey, punching Nazis is cool, but organizing these parties, I mean, what if it turns to authoritarian? Why would I, I do these totalitarian and then, you know, oh my God, the Chinese are all after us. Thing, You know, yeah, I mean, same kind of thing. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think you can see that. I think you can see a, a group of, you can imagine it, a group of, of people within that. And you see, it's in America. You Kamala Harris is a cop. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, people. 
Cory Booker's a venture capitalist. Yeah, Corey, uh, fuck. I mean, it's it's real. Jay-Z yeah. is a fucking capitalist. Like, yeah. fuck, you can find people within the colonized class who will play by the rules because it benefits them. Yeah. It's, it's not hard. Absolutely. Thus, there is very easily brought into being a kind of class of a franchise slaves or slaves who are individually free. What the intellectual demands is the right to multiply the emancipated and the opportunity to organize a genuine class of emancipated citizens. On the other hand, the mass of people who have no intention of standing by and watching individuals increase their chances of success, what they demand is not the settler's position of status, but the settler's place. The immense majority of natives want the settler's farm. For them, there is no question of entering the competition with the settler. They want to take his place. The peasantry is systematically disregarded for the most part by the propaganda put out by the nationalist parties. And it is clear that in the colonial countries, the peasants alone are revolutionary, for they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. The starving peasant outside the class system is the first among the exploited to discover that only violence pays. For him, there is no compromise, no possible coming to terms. Colonization and decolonization are simply a question of relative strength. The exploited man sees that liberation implies the use of all means, and that force first and foremost. When in 1956, after the capitulation of Monsieur Guy Mollet to the settlers in Algeria, the Front de Liberation Nationale, the FLN, in a famous leaflet, stated that colonialism only loosens its hold when the knife is at its throat. No Algerian really found these terms too violent. The leaflet only expressed what every Algerian felt at heart. Colonialism is not a thinking machine, nor a body endowed with reasoning faculties. It is violence in its natural state, and it will only yield when confronted with greater violence. Underscore, underscore, highlight, underscore, circle, point at, underscore, highlight. That paragraph is very, very important. One, I think it points to a very... uh, a very Maoist interpretation yeah. of Marxism, very much, very, very, very much peasant based. I mean, mm-hmm. the peasants are going to well, leave and, this and all you the way through. See, you know, this is something that Lenin, you know, kind of wrote to the Worker Vanguard Party, but then he also wrote to the peasants, and that was the big turn in the the Russian Revolution. The Bolsheviks, Mao, yeah, Bolsheviks, yeah. Uh, Mao, Mao directly, you know, focused on on peasantry, and now you're seeing from Fanon, and it's something we see here, you know, in the United States, we're not going to get a revolution unless we're decolonizing. We we need to end the United States of America as we see it. Okay. And, like, peasantry for a long time was the lumpen proletariat. And there's still peasantry out there, and it still represents lumpen proletariat. But also, you know, and you'll kind of see it in this book. You'll see you see it a lot in Fanon when he talks about different species and subspecies and the man-like animal, you know, is the colonized people are essentially the lumpen proletariat. Yeah. And you don't get revolution without the lumpen proletariat driving that revolution. And that, in this country, the lumpen proletariat will absolutely be the ones that drive Mm-hmm. The revolution. I mean, yeah. at a certain level, and again, I think you can do it. I think America is a weird, a weird melting pot where you could you could have all of it. You can have the exact. I think you have the makeup of the prototypical version of the revolution. Yeah. You, you have a vanguard. You have a massive disenfranchised lump and proletariat that are going to get pushed, especially in light of of climate disaster, are going to get mm-hmm. pushed to life or death living conditions if they're not already. Um, and you have the, the 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 enough means of production that you could absolutely secure it and and ensure everyone's material needs were met with little or no little or no issue. Yeah. So you have all the parts. You're just also fighting the greatest capitalist superpower structure that has ever existed in the history of time. Yeah. But I mean, and let's be very clear. There's almost waves of lumpen proletariats too. You know, because again, we're talking about. I talked about there's three types of colonized people, right? There's yeah. indigenous people. They were right. explicitly colonized. That cleanse all of these things. You have black people and the slaves were brought over. That's yes. that's a form of colonization and ethnic cleansing. It's a huge, enormous yeah. genocide. Giant. And then you have immigrants, and we're not talking like European immigrants that, that came over from, you know, Germany in the 60s because their parents weren't rich enough. You know, I'm talking like immigrants like the people from Honduras or people from, you know, yes. Syria or so, you know, they're, they're colonized because we went to their country and destroyed it and sent them running from the violence and then intercept them here and then shove them into concentration camps. And that's all colonized members of the lump and proletariat. Yeah. Then you have, you have just you have regular homeless people, homeless people, uh, yeah. ga- uh, uh, gangs, any form mm-hmm. of, any form of uh, anyone who's making, essentially trying to make their li- living outside of the capitalist system. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge part. You have yeah. a giant lumpen proletariat mm-hmm. in this country. 
Yep. Uh, now, and one thing you do have to—that's unfortunate—you do have to be careful with—is when you start looking at the proletariat outside of colonized people, you have to, you know, meet out and sort out the white supremacy from it because otherwise, I do. I think a huge part of it is—is is we just don't have a voice. There is no. And if they are, they're not making it. We don't have Fred Hampton getting everyone together. We don't have that. Yeah. There's that push just isn't there right now. But I think you see it popping up more and more. And I love again. This is. It's been at least a week since I've shot him out. So I'm gonna shot him out again because it's been spaced out. It feels better now. Again, USSP, uh, the 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 Proles United Socialist Soviet Socialist Podcast Group. I don't. I'll, I'll, I should look up the name. I'm sorry. I'm bad. Um, but no. But you, what you're seeing there is you're seeing de- definite. Uh, uh, subgroups, people with specialization popping up, bands of Turtle Island. You you have in, uh, an indigenous voice on the Marxist side giving that context. Minions are giving a very good uh, uh, context for Jewish Marxist-Leninist mm-hmm. thought. Um, I mean, you just have you have so many voices now, and it's it's becoming obvious that they that people want to speak and want to have have that voice heard. That I think the education portion of it is just a matter of pointing it all in the right direction and making yeah, sure Yeah, and I really hard. want to emphasize, you know, again, we do this and we do this very passionately because we we want to do this and we want to get this out there, but I don't want to, like, put podcasts on a pedestal of, like, the outlet of education. Like, most education no. is still going to be, like, person-to-person reading groups from party organization, things like that, you know, and, and learning from experience. But this is another outlet of it and seeing this particular outlet grow and this particular outlet grow outside of just the opportunists that have occupied it in the past is a really good sign that there are a lot of outlets growing yeah. and this is just one of them growing on the top. But you kind of, you know what? Is th- This is leaflet This is leaflet writing for, for 2019, baby. It is too. This it is, is leaflet true. writing. Can, can When do I get to call myself a professional revolutionary like Stalin did just by writing a lot of leaflets? <laughs> Damn it! How many episodes do I need before I can put it on the resume? Professional revolutionary. Just All I was writing, writing leaflets. This is leaflet writing, baby. I'm on it. I like the idea that we're Pravda. Oh no, we're not Pravda. No, no, Brett. Brett's Pravda. Don't. I'm not. I'm not gonna get it twisted. Brett's Pravda, <laughs> and you earned that spot, baby. I, I I'm happy to be the Mad Magazine of the uh, of the Russian Revolution, though. Whatever that may be. All right. So anyway, where a, the fuck are we? At a decisive moment, the colonialist bourgeoisie, which till up till then has remained inactive, comes to the field. It introduces the new idea, which is in proper parlance a creation of the colonial situation: nonviolence. It is in its simplest form this nonviolence signifies to the intellectual and the economic elite of the colonized country that the bourgeoisie has the same interests as they, and that it is therefore urgent and indispensable to come to terms with the public good. Nonviolence is an attempt to settle the colonial problem around a green baize table before any regrettable act has been performed with or irreparable gesture is made before any blood has been shed. But if the masses, without waiting for the chairs to be arranged around me, Bay's table, listen to their own voice, and begin committing outrages and setting fire to buildings, the elite and the nationalist bourgeoisie parties will be seen rushing to the colonials to exclaim, this is very serious. We do not know how it will end. We must find a solution, some sort of compromise. Yeah. This idea of compromise is very important in the phenomenon of decolonization, for it is very far from being a simple one. Compromise involves the colonial system and the young nationalist bourgeoisie at one and the same time. The partisans of the colonial system discover that the masses may destroy everything. Blown up bridges, ravaged farms, repressions and fighting harshly disrupt the economy. Oh, heavens! (laughs) Compromise is equally attractive to the nationalist bourgeoisie, who, since they are not clearly aware of the possible consequences of the rising storm, are genuinely afraid of being swept away by this huge hurricane and never stop saying to the settlers, we are still capable of stopping the slaughter. The masses still have confidence in us. Act quickly if you do not want to put everything in jeopardy. One step more, and the leader of the Nationalist Party keeps his distance with regard to the violence. He proudly proclaims that he has nothing to do with these Mao Mao, these terrorists, these throat slitters. At best, he shuts himself off in a no-man's land between the terrorists and the settlers and willingly offers his services as a go-between. That is to say, as the settlers cannot discuss terms with these Mao Mao, he himself will be quite willing to begin negotiations. Oh, yeah. Thus, it is that the rear guard of the national struggle that the very party of people who have never ceased to be on the other side in the fight, find themselves somersaulted into the van of negotiations and compromise precisely because that party has taken very good care never to break contact with colonialism. 
And so this is, I mean, this directly called, it directly called out nonviolence, it directly called out compromise, yes. and it directly called out uh, the colonized bourgeoisie and their, their interest with the colonialists. Um, so those are a couple of very, very important paragraphs. And I, I saw, I was, re- again, just trying to get a whole feel for the book as I was going through it. You know, mm-hmm. we're doing some overviews and some, some trying to look at, well, what are some criticisms of the book? What are some things that people say? Um, which is just always a bad idea because the, the one, one valid criticism I read is that, again, uh, Fanon does not do a good enough job of incorporating uh, uh, the feminist cause into sure. decolonialization. And I agree with that. I, I think that's a very valid criticism. And I think Fanon would take that on the chin if he were here. That being said, I uh, one was that his promoting violence over nonviolence ignored the nonviolent uh, gains of the civil rights movement. Oh my god! And uh, how that that should be the model. Hurl. And I just I stopped at that point and wanted to look. I didn't even look up the person. I didn't even care that much. I'm like, go fuck you, get fucked. You have yeah. no fucking idea. To call that non that is such revisionist goddamn bullshit. Yeah, to call Christ. the civil rights movement. Nonviolent. I mean, for fuck's sake! Look at the gay, the the gay rights movement in this country started with a with an actual riot. Yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake! Don't stop trying to whitewash history into being what this this peaceful fucking progression of ideas that you want it to be. Well, I mean, and on top of that, if the civil rights movement was nonviolent. You know, it wouldn't go all the way back to Jim Crow laws would have been around at the time of it. You know, I mean, those ended from communist action from uh, black people across the South, Mm -hmm. you know, in revolutionary way that ended Jim Crow laws and just gets forgotten history. Like they they, their time passed. They just stopped or something, you know, and then then it continued through the civil rights movement. And people knew about like, you know, Malcolm X and, and, you know, everything like that. I mean. Watts Rebellion and the formation of the Black, Black Panthers, Panthers. All, all that stuff. And all people want to hear about is Martin Luther King. And even then, again, Martin Luther King... Uh, he walked up to police... I've walked right through police lines. Yeah. Again, and suffered extreme violence. Mm-hmm. This, this, this non-violence is only on the part, apparently... The, the non-violence is only, only for the person trying to gain their rights. Yeah. Perfectly fine if the fucking Ku Klux Klan lynches them on the meantime and run through and burn down churches and, and fucking blow up churches in Alabama. No, 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 no. That's all baked into the equation. You, But if you retaliate, if there's violence from the people fighting for their right, oh, that's a step too far. Mm-hmm. Ah, you can't... No, no, no. You gotta do it peacefully. You gotta do it within the system. Yeah, um, it's the it, idea the perfect victim and even then you know the perfect victim is so bad because not only is it wrong and horrible and unfair for people to expect people to be perfect to be a victim of something but they'll never be the perfect victim the goalposts just move and yeah exactly you'll just change it again and yeah. so it's it, but again to call to call the fucking civil rights movement a non-violent movement and all and that 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 should de- that should somehow discredit what Fanon is talking about here is the most fucking asinine shit I've yeah, ever taken God, like that is the worst if that person was on Twitter right now the ratio oh the ratio <laughs> Before negotiations have been set afoot, the majority of nationalist parties confine themselves, for the most part, to explaining and excusing the savagery. They do not assert that people have to use physical force, and it sometimes even happens that they go so far as to condemn in private the spectacular deeds which are declared to be hateful by the press and public opinion in the mother country. The legitimate excuses for this ultra-conservative policy is the desire to see things in an objective light. But this traditional attitude of the native intellectual and of all the leaders of the nationalist parties is not, in reality, in the least objective. For, in fact, they are not at all convinced that this impatient violence of the masses is the most efficient means of defending their own interests. Moreover, there are some individuals who are convinced that the ineffectiveness of violent methods, for them, there is no doubt about it. Every attempt to break colonial oppression by force is a hopeless effort, an attempt at suicide, because the innermost recesses of their brains, the settler tanks and airplanes occupy a huge place. When they are told action must be taken, they see bombs raining down on them, armored cars coming at them on every path, machine gunning and police action, and they sit quiet. They are beaten from the start. There is no need to demonstrate their incapacity at triumph by violent methods. They take it for granted in their everyday life, in their political maneuvers. They have remained in the same childish position as Engels took up in his famous polemic on the monument purility, Monsieur During. The, so this is in uh, this is from Ante During uh, by Angles, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he's saying like the, these guys are exactly what Angles criticized in Ante During. Yeah. 
In the same way that Robinson Crusoe was able to obtain a sword, we can just as well suppose that Man Friday might appear one fine morning with a loaded revolver in his hand. And from then on, the whole relationship of violence is reversed. Man Friday gives the orders and Crusoe is obliged to work. Thus, the revolver triumphs over the sword and even the most childish believer in axioms will doubtless form the conclusion that violence is not a simple act of will, but needs for its realization certain very concrete preliminary conditions. And in particular, the implements of violence and the more highly developed of those implements will carry the day against primitive ones. Moreover, the very fact of the ability to produce such weapons signifies that the producer of highly developed weapons in everyday speech, the arms manufacturer, triumphs over the producer of primitive weapons. To put it briefly, the triumph of violence depends on the production of armaments, and this in turn depends on the production in general, and thus on economic strength on the economy of the state, and in the last resort on the material means which that violence commands. Now, in fact, the leaders of reform have nothing else to say then with what are you going to fight the settlers with knives, your shotguns. There's an interesting thing to be said there because I don't think that's accurate anymore. I, mm. And I don't think I don't think Fanon had the context to understand why that wasn't accurate. Um, but Vietnam happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, I mean, the Algerian Revolution was a revolution fought against a massive, a much more massive imperialist. Mao happened. Uh, uh, revolutions in South America happened. Guerrilla war. There, there is absolutely a means to fight. I, that that sentence right there feels it feels defeatist on the sense of you're not going to fight a higher state with higher weaponry. Well, and you're going to see him turn from that. The okay, then turn. Resources. Turn away, please, before I make a fool of myself. All right. It is true that weapons are important when violence comes into play, since all finally depends on the distribution of these implements. <laughs> but it so happens that the liberation of colonial countries throws new light on the subject. For example, we've seen that during the Spanish campaign, which was a very genuine colonial war, Napoleon, in spite of an army which reached the offensives of the spring of 1810, the huge figure of 400,000 men, was forced to retreat. Yet the French army made the whole of Europe tremble by its weapons of war, by the bravery of its soldiers, and the military genius of its leaders. Face to face with the enormous potential of Napoleonic troops, the Spaniards, inspired by an unshakable national ardor, rediscovered the famous method of guerrilla warfare, which 25 years before the American militia had tried out on the English forces. But the natives' guerrilla warfare would be of no value as opposed to the other means of violence if it did not form a new element in the worldwide process of competition between trusts and monopolies. And now we're going to start getting a little Lenin y. All right. In the early days of colonization, a single column could occupy immense stretches of the country, the Congo, Nigeria, the Ivory Coast, and so on. Today, however, the colonized country's national struggle crops up in a completely new and international situation. Capitalism, in its early days, saw in the colonies a source of raw materials, which once turned into manufactured goods could be distributed on the European market. After a phase of accumulation of capital, capitalism has today come to modify its conception of the profit-earning capacity of a commercial enterprise. The colonies have become a market. The colonial population is a customer who is all who is ready to buy goods. Consequently, if the garrison has to be perpetually reinforced, if buying and selling slackens off, that is to say if manufactured and finished goods can no longer be exported, there's clear proof that the solution of military force must be set aside. A blind domination founded on slavery is not economically worthwhile for the bourgeoisie of the mother country. The monopolistic group within this bourgeoisie does not support a government whose policy is solely that of the sword. What the factory owners and finance magnates of the mother country expect from their government is not that it should decimate the colonial peoples, but that it should safeguard, with the help of economic conventions, their own, quote-unquote, legitimate interests. Yeah, so now we're seeing a takeover via business, exactly what Lenin was talking Lenin. about in imperialism, the, the highest stage of capitalism. There's, yep. there's different ways, and, you know, so you can colonize people very explicitly via the gun, and that doesn't go away, but what's becoming more trendy is you have your own government, you have your own independence. Oh, by the way, our company right here, Coca-Cola, they own everything in that country. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And again, uh, all of that being said, Vietnam, North Korea. Yeah, I will still stand by those as two examples of people that were not able to be bowed by either means. They were yes. not bowed by capital, by imperialist means, or by purely military intervention. They, no, they, and, and again, Cuba too. You know, Cuba too, but Cuba never faced the military intervention full. I mean, Bay of Pigs kind of, but they never faced the full. It was never the full force of the U.S. military versus Cuba. Well, yeah. <laughs> as much as I love Fidel, come on now, we both know that wasn't going to end well. Yeah. 
Uh, thus, there exists a sort of detached complicity between capitalism and its vi- and the violent forces which blaze up in the colonial territory. What is more, the native is not alone against the oppressor, for indeed there is also the political and diplomatic support of progressive countries and peoples. But above all, there is competition, that pitiless war which finance group wages upon each other. A Berlin conference was able to tear Africa into shreds and divide her up between three or four imperial flags. At the moment... The important thing is not whether such and such region in Africa is under French or Belgian sovereignty, but rather that the economic zones are respected. Today, wars of repression are no longer waged against rebel sultans. Everything is more elegant, less bloodthirsty. The liquidation of the Castro regime will be quite peaceful. And- Fuck off! No, it wasn't! No, it didn't happen. It didn't happen! Suck a dick! <laughs> Go, Castro! They do all they can to strangle Guinea and eliminate the Meshuggada, Mish- uh, which they, they yeah, did. They that did those one. two. Yeah. yeah, they got those. They, they pulled that one. Uh, but still, Castro! Yeah. Thus, the nationalist leader who is frightened of violence is wrong if he imagines that colonialism is going to massacre all of us. The military will, of course, go on playing with tin soldiers, which date from time to time of the conquest, but higher finance will soon bring the truth to them. This is why reasonable nationalist political parties are asked to set out their claims as clearly as possible and to seek with their colonialist opposite numbers calmly and without passion for a solution which will take in the interests of both parties into consideration. Oh, that sentence just screamed practical idealism. Oh, someone call Sorkin. We see that if this nationalist reformist tendency, which often takes the form of a kind of caricature of trade unionism, decides to take action, it will only do so in a highly peaceful fashion. Through stoppages of work in the few industries which have been set up in the towns, mass demonstrations to cheer the leaders and the boycotting of buses or of imported commodities, all these forms of action serve at one and the same time to bring pressure to bear on the forces of colonialism and to allow the people to work off their energy. This practice of therapy by hibernation, this sleep cure used on the people, may sometimes be successful. Thus, out of the conferences around the Green Bay's table comes the political selectiveness, which enables Monsieur Maba, Maba, the president of the Republic of Gabon, to state in all seriousness upon his arrival in Paris for an official visit, Gabon is independent. But between Gabon and France, nothing has changed. Everything goes on as before. In fact, the only change is that Monsieur Maba is president of the Gabonese Republic and that he is received by the president of the French Republic. Again, if you hand over this, well, you can rule yourself and you'll have your own self-determination. This concept that Iraq is somehow a free democratic country completely yeah. unhindered by American and Western intervention at it's this just point is so stupid, laughably man. just apps. The, again, we talked about South Korea last episode, two episodes ago. Yeah. The, the South Korea is an explicit puppet state of the United States. Oh, pure yeah, 100%. and simple. Fucking pure and simple. It is not even close. Um, don't. So, again, the. the, the Colombia. Peaceful reformation, peaceful transitions of power where a colonized group becomes uncolonized, magically almost always end up with nothing fucking changing for the yeah, colonized Yeah, very, people. very colonial. Exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. The colonialist bourgeoisie is helped in its work of calming down the natives by the inevitable religion. All of those saints who have turned the other cheek, who have forgiven the trespasses against them, who have been spat on and insulted without shrinking, are studied and held up as examples. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, I mean, you just, the, the, the MLK jumps out uh-huh, at you. Uh-huh. The Gandhi just jumps out on you. Uh-huh. The, the, the squeezed and, and mashed down, whitewashed version of Nelson Mandela jumps out at you. Oh, don't even include Nelson. No, Nelson, fuck, Nelson was a revolutionary. He was a revolutionary, but the whitewashed image is just Gandhi, yeah, too. I get it. So... On the other hand, the elite of the colonial countries, those slaves set free, when at the head of the movement inevitably end up by producing an airstaz conflict, they use their brother's slavery to shame the slave drivers or to provide an ideological policy of quaint humanitarianism for their oppressor's financial competitors. The truth is that, yeah, of course, you know, I mean, and that's where you get into, like, marketing against the other bad company. And, you're, yeah, like, oh, my God, Coke is horrible. They, they just murdered some workers in, in Colombia. Uh, Pe- Pepsi. Pepsi's going to solve world peace by lining up Kylie Jenner and taking off a wig. Yeah, I just... I don't know. 
The truth is that they never make any real appeal to the aforesaid slaves. They never mobilize them in concrete terms. On the contrary, at the decisive moment, that is to say, from their point of view, the moment of indecision, they brandish the danger of a mass mobilization as a crucial weapon, which would bring about, as if by magic, the end of the colonial regime. If they're just a threatened by us and our peaceful mass yeah. movement. We'll, we'll march a million people on Washington, and then they'll give us our rights. Yeah. Obviously, there are to be found at the core of this political parties and among their leaders certain revolutionaries who deliberately turn their backs upon the farce of national independence. But very quickly, their questioning, their energy, and their anger obstruct the party machine. And these elements are gradually isolated and then quite simply brushed aside. At this moment, as if there existed a dialectical comment concomitants? Yeah, that one. Okay. The colonialist police will fall upon them. With no security, the towns, avoided by the militants and their former party, are rejected by its leaders. These undesirable firebrands will be stranded in the county districts. Then it is that they will realize bewilderedly that the peasant masses catch on to what they have to say immediately, and without delay, they ask them the question which they have not been prepared to answer. When When do we we start? start? Yeah, baby. This meeting of revolutionaries coming from the towns and country dwellers will be dealt with later on. For the moment, we must go back to the political parties in order to show the nature of their action, which is all the same progressive. In their speeches, the political leaders give a name to the nation. In this way, the natives' demands are given shape. There is, however, no definite subject matter and no political or social program. There's a vague outline or skeleton, which is nevertheless national in form, what we describe as minimum requirements. These pol- the politicians who make speeches and who write in the nationalist newspapers make the people dream dreams. They avoid the actual overthrowing of the state, but in fact they introduce to their readers or hearers' consciousness the terrible ferment of subversion. The national or tribal language is often used. Here, once again, dream are encouraged and the imagination is let loose outside the bounds of colonial order. And sometimes these politicians speak of we, little Ensler, we Arabs. And these terms, which are so profoundly ambivalent, take on during the colonial epoch a sacramental signification. The nationalist politicians are playing with fire. For as an African leader recently warned, a group of young intellectuals Think well before you speak to the masses, for they flare up quickly. This is one of the terrible tricks that destiny plays in the colonies. I mean, are they, I mean, again, be careful yeah. what you wish for. You want to fucking talk to people? Again, look at fucking the left in this country. Yeah. Prior to 2016, before we got told what... I mean, we were all fucking like... People were on board with Hillary Clinton, and now those... Some of those people, hi, hi, I'm the, I was progressively there, are making fucking podcasts calling for fucking let's guillotine rich people. Like, you fucking, again, don't promise us shit and then take it away. We will fucking come for you. Yeah. Yeah. When a political leader calls a mass meeting, we may say that there is a blood in the air. Yet the same leader very often, above all, is anxious to make a show of force so that, in fact, he is not to use it. But the agitation which ensues, the coming and going, the listening of speeches, seeing the people assembled in one place, with the police all around, the military demonstrations, arrests and deportation of its leaders, all this hubbub makes the people think that the moment has come for them to take action. And these times of instability in political parties multiply their appeals to the left for calm, while on the right they scan the horizon trying to make out the liberal intentions of colonialism. Not to try and apply an explicitly uh, African decolonization thing to uh, the most colonized place on the face of the planet and our, you know, central of shit, but uh, yeah, again, when you keep promising, when you have these two, this group that is expecting now a certain level of basic human, you know, Welfare again. The, the, we're this country is now getting to the point where the concept of of Medicare for all and and fucking breaking up these goddamn student loan cabals and all of this shit is is becoming something that we not only think of as possible but as just like as as ver- as like it must mm-hmm. happen. If you somehow manage to to take that away you're going to spark something and and that something just needs to be educated when it goes off because again there's going to be angry people one way or another come 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 2020 we're gonna have some pissed off people on one direction or another and you got to be ready for whatever side yeah i mean i think you're even starting too far down the line because of personal experience uh if you just think about like (laughs) occupy wall street you know, and, and what that did, that was a big disorganized mess where people weren't 
demanding things well, but people were basically saying, hey, we want our, you know, our fair share. We, yeah. you know, we, the, the 1% of the people have the 99% of the, the wealth, you know, yeah. type thing. But we've known that now forever and we still right. have nothing with it. Right, right. But I mean, people have been flaring up and flaring up and movements take time. And that, that was something that really kicked something off. I, Black Lives Matter was another one, you know. I mean, that was one where they came out and they said, hey, we don't want to be murdered in the street by cops all over again and all over again and all over again. And it's grown into the full, you know, movement for black lives. And, and you know, some people get numb to it over time. It goes, goes in the background. But other people, it's it's sharpening like, hey, yeah. the, the, the peaceful, you know, protesting that appealing to politicians, that didn't work. You know, hey, we got the body cameras. All that meant was they turned the body cameras off and got more funding. You yeah. know, I mean, that. I think I think Occupy is the best example of, of, of the missed opportunity. Um, the last missed opportunity because you had masses, you had people, you had people Jesus. out, you had uh, you had a very obvious crisis caused by a very obvious source. You had a very easy direction for your anger to be funneled, and you had a lot of people very suddenly thrown into a uh, thrown into the lumpen proletariat, for lack of a better word. Yeah, uh, due to work, and because of a lack, and you've heard it, the the that they tried to take on a. Such an egalitarian, all for every voice has equal weight, which meant that the the fucking 20-year-old fucking hippie college student who'd never fucking done any reading or anything like that is getting the same... The same, everything had to become unanimous consent, and and you had to have so and so a guy who's been organizing for thirty years on the street and fucking understands where we're at and knows the and knows the fucking theory behind this and knows how to put this in action is getting the exact same voice as 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 the guy playing hacky sack on the quad two days ago. Um, yeah. No, that fucking shit isn't gonna fly. Which again speaks to why again Vanguard for better or for worse, is necessary because when these moments pop up, if you don't have a group of people that can take a grab of it very quickly and and steer it, you're just going to lose it's one center. Yeah. It's like what Mark said. There, there, there are, what, decades that go by in where which nothing, nothing happens, happens and, and then weeks where decades of change happen. Mm-hmm. That I, I firmly believe that that Occupy was the weeks where we could have done something, the most recent, at least in memory, where we could have done something, um, and and we, we blew it. Because of a pure lack of education, a lack of direction, and a lack of any sort of organized party in this country that could speak to what these people actually wanted. Because the only thing yeah. that was speaking for them at the time were the fucking, uh, what, the Democrats who were in the White House and had the House and Senate? Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi are supposed to be speaking to the disaffected? What the fuck? No, they're, they're, there's no message that's going to get there. There's yeah. no way to talk to them. Yeah. So fuck all of that shit. Get yourself a fucking Vanguard party together. Come on now. Yeah. And the same way that people make use of certain episodes in the life of the community in order to hold themselves ready and to keep alive their revolutionary zeal. For example, the gangster who holds up the police set on ta- track or set on to track him down for days on end or who dies in a single combat after having killed four or five policemen or who commits suicide in order to not give away his accomplices. These types of Shout light- out to Epstein. Yeah. Big ups. The, these, God damn it. <laughs> I was waiting for you to not pass I, that one over. I, Come on now. It took me a second to process what Come you were on. saying there. Come on. No, it's a good one. That's a good one. He kept Bill and, and, and Dershowitz safe. He, yeah, know, yeah, sure. He's on, he's on the up and up. He's got it. Come on. He's doing, he's doing a solid. The suicide where... where uh, <laughs> <laughs> the suicide where he was just breaking his neck, you know, having fun. <laughs> you know, all right. Screeching did it. Screeching was coming from his cell. I've and... had some weird screechy episodes. You know, yeah. everyone does their own thing. <laughs> totally on not, the up and not up. Not suspicious at all. Nothing nope. suspicious here. <laughs> so anyway, uh, back to the gangster who holds up the police set on, tra- set on to track him down for days on end or who dies in a single combat after having killed four or five policemen or commits suicide in order to not give away his accomplices these, God damn it. these types of light the way for the people form the blueprints for action and become heroes yeah, that's how I describe Epstein yep hero hero right there hero shut up obviously it's a waste of breath to say that such and such a hero is a thief a scoundrel or a reprobate yeah I mean don't sit there and <laughs> Oh, we don't really mean to, to, to. not with Epstein. God damn it! <laughs> That's about to say. But with the actual, actual working class heroes, don't Whoa. don't sit there and table and like 
denounce oh, them. Like you no. have to denounce, you know. Da, da, da. No, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> if the act for which he is prosecuted by the colonial authorities is an act exclusively directed against a colonialist person, colonialist property, the demarcation line is definite and manifest. The process of identification is automatic. Oh shit! We must also notice in this ripening process the role played by the history of the resistance at the time of the conquest. The great figures of the colonized people are always those who led the national resistance to invasion. Ben-Nazim, Sandinata, Samori, Abdelkader, all spring again not to- Not the Red Wings player. Not Abdelkader. Not, Ab- not Justin Abdelkader, no. Abdel Space Cotter. All spring again to life with- Hey, you leave the bad puns to me. Know your role. <laughs> All spring again to life with peculiar intensity in the period which comes directly before action. This is the proof that the people are getting ready to begin to go forward again, to put an end to the static period begun by colonization and to make history. The uprising of the new nation and the breaking down of the colonial structures are the result of one of two causes, either a violent struggle of the people in their own right or of the action on the start on the part of the surrounding colonized peoples, which acts as a break on the colonial regime in question. A colonized people is not alone. In spite of all that colonialism can do, its frontiers remain open to new ideas and echoes from the outside world. Uh, It discovers that violence is in the atmosphere and that it here and there bursts out and here and there sweeps away the colonial regime. That same violence which fulfills for the native a role that is not simply informatory but also operative. The great victory of the Vietnamese people in Dien Bien Phu. I hope I pronounced that right. Dien Bien Phu. Dien Bien Phu, okay. Is no longer, strictly speaking, a Vietnamese victory. Since July 1954, the question which the colonized people have asked themselves has been, what must be done to bring out another Dien Bien Phu? How can we manage it? Not a single colonized individual could ever again doubt the possibility of a Dien Bien Phu. The only problem was how best to use the forces at their disposal, how to organize them, and when to bring them into action. This encompassing violence does not work upon the colonized people only. It modifies the attitude of the colonialists, who become aware of the manifold Dien Bien Phu. This is why a veritable panic takes a hold of colonialist governments in turn. Their purpose is to capture the vanguard, to turn the movement of liberation towards the right, and to disarm the people. Quick, quick, let's decolonize. Decolonize the Congo before it turns into another Algeria. Vote the constitutional framework for all Africa. The great French... Create the French commutant. Commutant, okay. Commutant or whatever. Uh, Renovate the same commutant. But for God's sake, let's decolonize quick. And they decolonize at the rate they impose independence on... Nope. Nope. It's all you, buddy. It's all Uh, you, buddy. Who that's got to be one of the Belgian holdings in Africa. Okay. To the strategy of Dien Bien Phu, defined by the colonized people, the colonialist peoples by strategy of encirclement based upon the respect of sovereignty of states. So he's basically saying, like, the, the colonialist people should should feel, you know, fervent, or the colonized people should feel fervent and sharpened and, and try to recreate all these great, glorious, you know, victories of decolonization, but also realize the colonizers are learning from it. You yeah. know, they're they're going to react. Yeah, they reckon the French. The French recognized very quickly that after Dan Ben Phu, they 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 unilaterally lost, mm-hmm. and that can't be an option for them. There yeah. there has to be if they if they know unilateral, um um, you know, complete failure is on the table. They will take any other option to to mitigate that, which is where you quick everybody rush 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 come up with new the 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 colonial republic of of. Gambon and all this other shit. Come up with every possible way of of simulating decolonization without actually changing the mm-hmm. material conditions because you will stave off that inevitable and, and we did this all the time in South America. Oh my god, we had yeah. like it, we practically invented this game in South America um of just flipping you know, flipping coups and flipping leaders that were not were not friendly to us in order to get to get, you know, a, a friendly regime mm-hmm. in place. Um so yeah, it's it's absolutely a strategy, but again, Everyone knows now that they, they fucked up. They let Dien Bien Phu happen, which means every colonized people has its, its you know what? Hi, you thought we were done with hockey, motherfuckers. No. Welcome back. It is every team at the trade deadline post this year that is going to be able to say, no, the Blues were in last place. We can do this. We don't need to do shit. We're making a run, baby. No selling. Hold the ground. Hold the line. That's Dien Bien Phu for every colonized people. It's, we can do it. It's there. We can get it. Even if it was a ridiculously, like, way unattainable start, 
They've got their 1%. They can hold on to it, and they're going to go for it, which yeah. is good. And I have now turned colonization into hockey. Yes. Win. <laughs> win. But let's return to that atmosphere of violence, that violence which is just under the skin. We have seen that in its process toward maturity, many leads are attached to it, to control it, to show it the way out. Yet in spite of the metamorphoses which the colonial regime imposes on it in the way of tribal or regional quarrels, that violence makes its way forward, and the native identifies his enemy and recognizes all his misfortunes, throwing all the exacerbated might of his hate and anger into this new channel. But how do we pass from the atmosphere of violence to violence in action. What makes the lid blow off? There is, first of all, the fact that this development does not leave the settler's blissful in existence intact. The settler who understands the natives is made aware by several straws in the wind showing that something is afoot. Good natives become scarce. Silence falls when the oppressor approaches. Sometimes looks are black and attitudes are remarkable and remarks openly aggressive. The nationalist parties are astir. They hold a great many meetings. The police are increased and reinforcements of soldiers are brought in. The settlers, above all the farmers, isolated on their land, are the first to become alarmed. They call for energetic measures. Mm-hmm. The authorities do in fact take some spectacular measures. They arrest one or two leaders, they organize military parades and maneuvers, and air force displays, but the demonstrations are warlike exercises. The smell of gunpowder which now fills the atmosphere Fear. These things do not make the people draw back. Those bayonets and cannonades only serve to reinforce their aggressiveness. The atmosphere becomes dramatic, and everyone wishes to show that he is ready for anything, and in these circumstances that the guns go off by themselves, for nerves are jangled, fear reigns, and everyone is trigger happy. A single commonplace incident is enough to start machine gunning Satif in Algeria, the central quarries in Morocco, Moramanga in Madagascar. The Boston Massacre, uh, the, uh, what fucking, there was something during the French Revolution where this all happened to, it, you, you, you read this in every story of every confrontation that, that's, mm-hmm. that's been escalating for a while, is everyone's on tender hooks, everyone's on edge, and then there's an event, that, and that's again, yeah. why you constantly have to be fucking, we have to be educating as rapidly as humanly possible and getting stuff in place as rapidly as humanly possible, because you never know when that one random trigger event is going to go off. Yeah, and usually those random trigger events, it's not like like some giant bomb killed 10,000. No. It's usually like some like peaceful confrontation and then, you know, words got heavy and hot and then like 10 people died. And it you should don't see be... a revolution every time 10 people get killed. No, it should. Charlottesville yeah. would have been a great example of, yeah. of, of an event like this that should have theoretically been able to trigger something to that yeah. effect. Um, all of these, all of these little, again, the amount of, the, I mean, the amount of, at this point, the police violence we become numb to it feels like to a certain degree which is getting depressing but yeah but i mean even we talked about that yeah it, police violence happens all the time and we talked about uh the movement for black lives and yeah. you think of michael brown you yeah. think back to the 90s of like rodney king, king. and you know i mean so what yeah what at some what point one of these special? one They're... of these is going to be different and there's going to be there's going to be a reaction and it's mm-hmm. how can you harness is there a way to harness that reaction in a way that that changes the system yeah. Um, and that's what you always have to be. And it's hard. I That's a hard thing to think about because, mm-hmm. goddamn, you can't. How do you expect people to understand that in the moment and try and explain? And again, that's the, the only thing we can do is try and educate as many people as possible so that you hope whenever one of these events breaks out, there's at least someone close by on the ground that is willing to jump in and mm-hmm. try and lead that in a direction that's mm-hmm. going to be positive. That's all you can do. Absolutely. The, rep- the repressions, far from calling a halt to the forward rush of national consciousness, urge it on. Mass slaughter in the colonies at a certain stage of the embryonic development of consciousness increases that consciousness. For the hectomes are in an indication that between oppressors and oppressed, everything can be solved by force. It must be remarked here that the political parties have not called for armed insurrection and have made no preparations for such an insurrection. All these repressive measures, all these actions which are a result of fear are not within the leader's intentions. They are overtaken by events. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren do not actually want a revolution. It is the last. AOC does not want a revolution. They absolutely, if violence were to start breaking out and the. They condemn it. Oh, they would would be the first on the line. This is not the way to do it. This isn't the way to do it every single time. Don't ever think differently. Um. At this moment, then, colonialism may decide to arrest the nationalist leaders. But today, the governments of colonized countries know very well that it is extremely dangerous to deprive the masses of their leaders. For then, the people, unbridled, free... 
fling themselves into jockeys, mutinies, and brutish murders. The masses give free reign to their bloodthirsty instincts, quote, air quotes, and force colonialism to free their leaders to whom falls the difficult task of bringing them back into order. The colonized people who have spontaneously brought their violence to the colossal task of destroying the colonial system will very soon find themselves within the barren, inert slogan, release X or Y. Then, with colonialism, will rele- then colonialism will release these men and hold discussions with them. The time for dancing in the streets has come. Mm-hmm. In certain circumstances, the party political machine may remain intact. But as a result of the colonialist rep- repression and of the spontaneous reaction of the people in the parties find themselves outdistant by their militants, the violence of the masses is vigorously pitted against the military forces of the occupying power, and the situation deteriorates and comes to a head. Those leaders who are free remain, therefore, on the touchline. They have suddenly become useless with their bureaucracy and their reasonable demands, yet we see them far removed from events, attempting the crowning imposture, that of speaking in the name of the silence nation. As a general rule, colonialism welcomes this godsend with open arms, transforms these blind mouths into spokesmen, and in two minutes endows them with independence on condition that they restore order. So we see that all parties are aware of the power of such violence, and that the question is not always to reply to it by greater violence, but rather to see how to relax the tension. What is the real nature of this violence? We have seen that it is the institution of the colonized masses that their liberation must be and can only be achieved by force. By what spiritual aberration do these men, without technique, starving and enfeebled, confronted with the military and economic might of the occupation, come to believe that violence alone will free them? How can they hope to triumph? Well, you're going to find out next week right here on Mark's Madness, guys. <laughs> Tune in. No. Yeah. No. Sorry. That is a, that is a very good, though, uh, End point for this yes. for this particular part of the chapter because yes that is what we we've got there we we've kind of we've come to the ex, you know the the result that only violence is going to get us there why why is violence the only thing that's going to get us there and that's what uh, Fanon's going to go on and try and explain in the next couple uh, uh, chapters not chapters just pages because it's all one <laughs> chapter it's all a big chapter we're just all jazz here baby yeah um, but now until next week bye. bye.